Well, good morning, everybody. Let me start by saying, uh, I wasn't planning on saying this, this isn't actually part of the sermon, um, but I'm really, uh, I love meeting with you guys. It's really sweet to see all of you. Last time I preached in December, I think there were about 20 of us in this room. It was towards the end of the, the year, so um, there's quite a few more of you, um, and it's such a joy to see you all. You know, as you prepare to preach, there's a lot of work that goes into this, and even as you get ready to preach on a Sunday morning, at least for me, um, there can become a little bit of dread. You know, you, you kind of begin to almost look forward to it being over uh, so that I can go home and crash and just rest and recover. Um, but let me just say, as I, as I got here and we, and we began to sing and we took communion with each other and, 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 um, and we just were reminded of the mercies of God, that I'm just really thankful for all of you. And I'm, and I'm thankful that this is a foretaste of forever. And, and it's just a, a small little shadow of what's, what's to come. So, um, so thank you. And welcome. Welcome to Trinity. Let me say that again. If you're visiting with us, this is a sweet family to be a part of. We're glad that you decided to, to spend your Sunday here with us this morning. Um, we're going to continue our study of the Ten Commandments. By looking at the Eighth Commandment this morning, which is, you shall not steal. When you think about the Eighth Commandment, how does it make you feel? Do you feel guilt and shame when you come to this commandment because you know that you have, in fact, stolen? Or maybe you come to this command feeling uh, relief, like, finally, here is a command that I can keep. In fact, there's a book by Kevin DeYoung. Uh, this one right here, it's called The Ten Commandments. We've mentioned it a few times before uh, during our study. Um, it's a short read, super helpful. I believe there's a few copies out on the resource table. In this book, Kevin DeYoung opens his uh, chapter on the Eighth Commandment by saying, after, uh, after finding ourselves deeply convicted by the earlier commandments, our initial approach to this one is, yes, finally, we get some breathing room. Well, whether you come to this command feeling guilt or relief, my hope is by the time we finish discussing the Eighth Commandment, we will see that we are all guilty of breaking it, and the only hope we have is in a Savior who perfectly kept it for us. The way we will get there this morning is by discussing uh, three things. First, we will talk about what this command meant for Israel. Uh, And then second, we will spend some time talking about what this commandment means for us and a few ways in which we find ourselves breaking it. And then finally, uh, we will spend some time talking about the gospel and what it means for this commandment. But before we do, let me invite you all, will you all please stand out of honor for God's word and join me as I read Here now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Short and sweet. Well, let's first begin by understanding what this commandment meant for Israel. For Israel, this commandment was primarily about their property. One thing to notice about this commandment is that it actually says a lot with four words, most of which is implied. 
For example, one thing this command assumes is Israel had a right to own property. In fact, the command assumes they had a divine right to own property, meaning the command implies God was the one who gave the Israelites everything that they had. God distributed his gifts to each uh, Israelite uh, as he saw fit, and he gave them the right to own and enjoy these gifts. Not only did God give them the right to own his gifts, he gave them this law, which placed a boundary around the good gifts that he gave. Israel was forbidden from unlawfully taking anything that was not their own. Stealing would not have been limited to just property. The commandment included not dealing falsely with each other, so the commandment extended into the marketplace as well. Israel was not to use deceptive means or employ fraudulent practices when buying, selling, or trading with each other. They were not to receive goods they knew were stolen, enter into contracts they knew were bad, or pursue unethical loan arrangements, and countless others. In fact, you'll notice the command is open-ended. It does not specifically say what not to steal. And in this way, it covered most of Israel's life together as God's people. Israel would have also understood not only what this command prohibited, but what it required from them. They would have understood the law required them to love each other. We can see this in parts of Scripture like Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 18, where the context in that section is, uh, is God telling Israel how to love their neighbor. And in this section, God calls them to love their neighbor in, in many different ways, which included not stealing or dealing falsely with them, um, not oppressing them or robbing them by keeping uh, from them what was rightfully theirs, like wages they had earned. They knew that with the eighth commandment, they knew that with the eighth commandment, God was telling them that they should want to do no harm to each other. In fact, they should seek to treat their neighbors the same way that they expected to be treated. And it's in this way that we can see how this command was good for Israel. It would have promoted a just society. A community where everyone dealt honestly with each other. If obeyed, Israel would be honest neighbors. They would have fair markets where no one was being exploited. They would lend honestly to each other. They would be fair employers and, and hardworking employees. I mean, can you imagine a society where no one took what did not belong to them and were honest in all of their dealings? If they obeyed this command, it's easy to see how Israel would have, in fact, been distinct from all of the nations around them. But more than any of these things, the good this command had for Israel was found in what it said about God. The Eighth Commandment reminded Israel of God's generous provision. It reminded them of their gracious Redeemer who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, a land where they were slaves and had nothing. And from the day of their deliverance to every day that followed, God had provided everything they needed. The commandment reminded Israel that no need they had was too great for God. And that he would be faithful to take care of them. And in response to what this command told them about God, Israel could say, if this is the God we serve, then why would we steal and harm one another? Unfortunately, Israel would not remember these truths. Ultimately, they would forget about their deliverance. 
They would begin to doubt their gracious Redeemer. And after enough time of never remembering, they would turn to idols instead of God. But let's now put a pen in Israel, and let's talk about what this commandment means for us and the ways in which we can maybe see ourselves breaking it. First, when we talk about what this commandment means for us, does this commandment mean for us what it meant for Israel? Yes, it does. Which means God has given us everything that we have. God has distributed his gifts to each of us as he sees fit, and he has given us the right to own and enjoy these gifts. He has given us a law that places a boundary around these gifts, which means like Israel, we are forbidden from unlawfully taking anything that does not belong to us. Furthermore, we should always deal honestly with others in our society with the desire to do no harm to anyone. Like Israel, this command should lead to a just society where we trust one another. It should lead to fair markets where no one is exploited. It should lead us to be honest lenders, fair employers, and hardworking employees. So let me ask you, as you look at the world around you, is that what you see? I think far too often it seems the opposite is true, that our society is not just. Our markets are not fair. And people often are exploited and harmed by greed. Unfortunately, we find this command is often broken and that stealing is a prevalent part of our society. In fact, one pastor that I listened to a few weeks ago, he said that to see the prevalence of stealing in our own day, just look at all the ways we protect ourselves against it. We have security systems and guns in our homes and locks on our doors. We have locks on our cars. We even now have locks on our phones and built-in tracking systems uh, that will show us where our phones uh, go, in fact, uh, if they get stolen. We have PIN numbers for our bank accounts and software chips in our credit cards. We use apps and websites that require a username and password. And now even a second level of verification because we want to protect our data and identities from theft. And I'm not condemning any of these. I'm very thankful for many of them. Uh, but they do show us that stealing is, in fact, a prevalent part of our society. But I think it can be easy to point to the world around us and see all the ways that others are stealing. So let me ask you, what about us? Are we stealing? I think our gut reaction is to say, of course not. But let's talk about this for just a little bit before you begin to respond from your gut. Um, first, I want to give you a list of ways we might be guilty of stealing. This is a uh, part of the sermon that I actually brought up with our small group just a few, um, a few nights ago. We meet on Sundays, and I was asking them to reflect on ways in which we might find ourselves stealing. Um, and so they were very helpful to help me come up with a list. So this is a few of their ideas as well as a few of um, my own. One that many mentioned was tax evasion, um, insurance fraud, selling something you know is broken, intentionally underpaying for something you know is worth more, making a practice of borrowing things and never returning them, 
downloading content online that you should have paid for, like movies, games, or software. In fact, one person in our small group mentioned Napster, which is a great example, but definitely dates this one person in our small group. Um, He will remain nameless. If you don't know, Napster was like a shady version of Spotify. And I think it was back in like the late 90s or early 2000s, I don't know. A few more were overcharging for work if you're self-employed, for employees wasting your company's time. There's plagiarizing, taking someone else's intellectual property and claiming it as your own. And then finally, last but not least, when we stream our favorite shows but have not paid to enjoy that content. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but it helps us think about some ways we might have stolen. One thing this list, I think, shows us is that we might steal without realizing we're stealing, maybe like with company time. Or maybe we do know we're being dishonest, but we we believe it's not a big deal. Maybe we see it as a one-time thing. Maybe we convince ourselves there's no real victim or that these companies actually expect it from us. I think one thing this list helps us to see is that there are times when we don't trust God to provide. And so we cut corners and we find other ways to build our life on our own terms. Or we take something that we want without any concern with whether or not God actually means for us to have it. So let me encourage all of us to be mindful of the ways we might be stealing, however small or victimless they may seem. Because even the smallest thefts are offensive to God. Instead of stealing, we should trust God and work to be a people who are honest in all of our dealings. Whether we're dealing with the government, a large corporation, a client, our employer, or our actual neighbor. Let us work to be people who do no harm. Another way we can break this commandment is when we fail to promote a just society. When we fail to be a people who not only do no harm, but protect others from being harmed against. This is a part of the Eighth Commandment that Martin Luther addresses in his work, The Large Catechism, where in it he says, it's not enough that we would do no injury to our neighbor, but we must faithfully work to preserve their property for them. What Luther is saying is we have a responsibility with the Eighth Commandment to see those in our communities who are vulnerable, who are at risk for being stolen against, and to help protect them from deceptive people and practices who look to harm them by stealing from them. Maybe you have a neighbor who you know is not getting paid fairly for the work they do. Or maybe you have an elderly neighbor who is being taken advantage of by other neighbors or possibly their own family. The way that most Nashville neighborhoods go, there's a strong possibility your neighbors are poor and at high risk of being stolen against, either by their own family or most likely businesses who target those who are impoverished like predatory lenders. Well, we have a responsibility as God's people to protect them. 
whether that's helping them confront family that's causing harm, helping them understand the dangers that certain businesses pose, or to find a variety of other ways to help empower and protect them. In the Eighth Commandment, we have a responsibility to protect. But if you're anything like me, often you uh, don't take the time to either get to know your neighbors or, or necessarily um, care for the vulnerable in our communities. We don't maybe stop and learn their circumstances or, or look for ways we can help them not be harmed against. And so it's helpful when we come to the Eighth Commandment because it reminds us not only of what God forbids, but also what he requires from us. Along those lines, one final thing we must consider with the Eighth Commandment is the degree of generosity that it calls us to. Historically, the church has been taught that with the Eighth Commandment, God forbids stealing and requires generosity. This gets at the two-sided principle of this command. Two weeks ago, Matt preached on the Sixth Commandment, which is, you shall not murder. And he talked about this two-sided principle, how there is both something the command forbids and requires. With the Sixth Commandment, we saw that it requires us to see the sanctity of all human life and to fight for that sanctity, especially where it's most vulnerable. But with the Eighth Commandment, we find that it requires us to be a generous people, looking for ways we can meet the needs of others with what God has given to us. One place we see this in the Bible is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28. I'd actually referenced that in his sermon two weeks ago. I was a little upset about it because I thought he was trying to steal my thunder. Um, I trust that he was not. You never know. Um, but in Ephesians 4, 28, Paul says this. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here Paul says that it's not enough for the thief to stop stealing. He must now work so that he may share with those in need. So with this verse we see both sides of the command. Paul goes from do not steal and moves to work honestly so you can meet the needs of others. Is this how you see your work? Do you see that God has given you the work you do so you can meet the needs of others? He has gifted you with work so you can serve and take care of your family, so that you can take care of your community. And he has given you work so you can serve and take care of your church family right here at Trinity, helping to financially provide for this ministry. Do you view your work in this way? This call to generosity is not just limited to our work, by any means. How do we view all the gifts that God has given us? Do we see them as just meeting our needs, or do we see them as opportunities to meet the needs of others? How do we view our homes, cars, food, money, time, influence, and even our wealth? Now, before I go too far down this road, I do want to make a clarifying statement, which is God does mean for us to own and enjoy his gifts. I think that's important. I think at times when we hear sermons like this one, we can start to feel bad about owning anything or enjoying the good gifts that God has given to us. God absolutely wants us to own and enjoy his gifts. But not to cling to them. 
Not to trust them to provide in ways only God can. And not to treasure them above God. We are to understand that everything belongs to God and He has graciously allowed us to share in what is His. To own it and enjoy it, yet not to hold it with closed fists, but with open hands to respond to God and say, thank you for everything that you have given me. Here, take it all and use it for your purposes, for your glory, to extend your kingdom. One way this has played out for my family is with our home. Many of you know we recently purchased our first home, and we have been really enjoying it. It's been good to us. It has been life-giving to us as a family. My son, he's two years old. He now has his own room. Before, when we were renting, he was sharing a room with us, and I probably don't need to tell many of you, that was not great. Um, But now he has his own space where his toys are all sprawled out across his floor instead of our living room. He has his own bed, which has resulted in all of us getting more sleep. The house lets in tons of light, which has really helped improve our moods. Uh, My wife and I now have separate sinks in our bathroom, which is a game changer. I didn't know that it would be, but it is. It's really, really nice. And now we have a yard which means my son can go outside and play freely. It's fenced. And so we can just open the back door and let him out. And it also means that now I'm forced to get outside and do manual labor as I mow and have to weed at our yard, which feels about like every other day right now. So, um, Are we enjoying these gifts from God? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if we don't open our doors and invite our neighbors in, if we don't let their kids play in our yard or host their family for dinner, if we don't have all of you over to fellowship with us in our home, and I mean all of you, take that as an open invitation, come see us. If we don't let your kids come stay with us so you all can get some rest from time to time, or if I don't invite men over and and finally sit around a fire pit that I hope to have in the near future and talk about life, and the gospel, and encourage each other, then we as a family are probably clinging a little too hard to our home. And this is not a prescriptive list, right? This this isn't all the ways in which we must use our home, but it helps to illustrate that if we enjoy this gift from God, but never use it to serve others, then we might be enjoying it, but at the same time, we are wasting it. In fact, the greatest joy our home should bring to us is the joy we find in using this gift from God for His glory and the good of others. Are we a generous people? If you're anything like me, then you often fall short of being as generous as you feel you should be. Far too often, I cling to the things God has given me, whether it be my home, my money, my time, And I don't look to serve others in the ways that I know I should. Well, let's wrap up our discussion of what this command means for us and a few ways in which we break it. And let's take a few minutes to recap a few things we might have learned about ourselves. We have learned that most likely we all have stolen. We've learned that at times we don't protect those who are being stolen against. 
And we learn that we are not as generous as we should be. In fact, what we have realized is we don't come to this command and give a sigh of relief, believing that we can keep it. Instead, we realize all the ways in which we break it. Yet in a strange way, that's the beauty of this command. It serves to show us our sin, but then it leads us to a Savior who perfectly kept this command for us so that we can now stand in His righteousness and not our own. And it reminds us that our Savior is the greatest gift we have ever received, a gift given to us by a gracious and generous Father. Like Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? This verse reminds us that, like Israel... We too have been delivered by a gracious Redeemer. We have been set free by a generous God who did not cling to His Son, but gave Him up for us all. It reminds us of Jesus, who did not cling to His Father, but out of obedience left His Father's side and emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. And in this form, Jesus perfectly obeyed every command that God ever gave, including the Eighth Commandment. For Jesus never stole anything from anyone. And the only thing He ever took that did not belong to Him was our sin. And for that incredibly generous and costly act of love, God did not spare Him, but delivered Him over to be the atoning sacrifice we needed so we could stand righteous before God. If Israel could look back at their deliverance and be reminded of God's power, faithfulness, and generosity, then how much more can we, who have received an even greater deliverance through Christ, look to our gracious Redeemer and trust that He will provide, that He will graciously give us all things? For if our greatest need was provided for by God in giving us Jesus, then friends, what need do we have today that is too big for God? If He sent His Son to make us His treasured people, why would we believe anything less than He takes great pleasure in working all things together for our good? If we will remember the generosity of our gracious Redeemer in giving us His Son, then we can proclaim like Israel, if this is the God we serve, why would we ever steal or harm someone else? And in fact, if every day, if we will just remember we have received a Savior who loves us so much He gave His life for us, and we will be compelled to show that love to others. Because every time we remember that truth, that good news, it grabs a hold of our hearts, and it compels us to see the needs of others, to work to help meet those needs. It compels us to get into our communities and to protect those who are being harmed against. And it compels us to be a people who open our homes and invite strangers in to have dinner with us so that we can share with them our gracious Redeemer and how we have been set free and how He desires that they would be set free too. Israel forgot 
about their deliverance. And as a result, turned away from God. Let us never forget. But every day, remember that we remember what we have received. Let us come together like we did this morning when we took communion and remind each other of the generosity of our Father who gave us His Son and the generosity of our Savior who gave His body as our sacrifice, who took the wrath of God that we deserved and by His blood has washed us clean. The final bit of good news I'll leave you all with is that God in His generosity not only gave us His Son, but also His Holy Spirit. So if we come to this sermon and, and, and guilt and shame are just weighing on us, one, I hope that's not the case because you've heard the good news of Christ who perfectly keeps His command for you. God looks at Him and sees us. That's good news. But God also gave us His Holy Spirit so that we can have everything that we need to keep this command. God, by His Spirit, enables us to love Him and love our neighbors. So friends, let us always remember we serve a gracious and generous God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for being so generous to us. We thank you for your son who you sent to die for us so that we can be with you forever. We thank you for that good news and what it means for us. And we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together each and every week with each other to remember those truths. We just pray that you, you, that you would use your word this morning to sanctify and, and change the hearts of your people. That you would help us to want to never do any harm to anybody. And that you would help us to see those in our communities who need us and to want to work for their good. And help us to be a people who are generous, who are as generous as our God who gave us his son, that we would see the good gifts that you have given to us. And not only would we trust you, you can provide for us. We'd want to turn around and help provide for others. We pray that you would use your word to help transform us into a people who love you and who love our neighbors. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your people. And we pray and we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.